welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. I have something that as, as I was talking to Pastor Gray and hearing about the community of Kabulture and the, and the amazing move from one city of Morrifield up to here, uh, God just put on my heart, you know, I was trying to determine what message I was going to bring. And this really fits with exactly the posture and the position of this church right now. A church that, by the way, completely flooded, which is an amazing story in and of itself, that they're touring us through different places in the church that uh, aren't even done again because it was a new move and then 2020 and then a flood. And God wants you right here, Pastors Gray and Pastor Mel. This is, this is, this is right where he wants you. This is the epicenter of revival in this area. It's gonna be right here. And that picture that you have on that wall in his office is a banner, and it's got Kabulcher, and it says Jesus across the entire region, like there's a flag stuck in the ground claiming all of this land for Jesus Christ. And I am just so excited that I get to play a 20-minute part or a 25-minute part, or you gave me an hour and a half today, right? Is that right? Uh, I'm from Florida, uh, so I sound kind of funny. I'm from the South. My wife is not, and sometimes we speak two different languages because I use words that she doesn't even understand. Because in the United States, if you're from up north, you speak completely differently than those of us in the South. And we never stop talking. And that's another thing that I think might drive my wife crazy is I use way too many words. She'll be like, too many words. So I, uh, I'm going to try not to use too many words this morning. Uh, I was raised in a little town called Jacksonville, which is uh, actually a rather big city. And it's on the northern eastern side of the state of Florida. And it's the deep south. And growing up in the deep south, we knew all of our neighbors. We knew everybody on the street. We knew the names on every mailbox. We knew the people. In fact, back when I grew up, we would play in everybody else's backyards. It was three dead-end streets, so uh, me and the boys would run back and forth through backyards, and we literally had like 60 moms in the neighborhood. If you messed up at one house, by the time you got home, she had already called your mom and you were in trouble. Or your parents actually gave the neighbor permission to whip your butt if you broke something or did something wrong. So you literally had all these moms in the neighborhood. In fact, 40 years later, in the same neighborhood, which I get to go to occasionally, it's the same names on the mailbox, it's just two generations later. The kids own the grandparents' houses, and it's just incredible. Tom David was one of our neighbors, and he was an older gentleman, had this massive backyard, and literally every holiday, this guy would string up lights and put out food, and the whole neighborhood would come by, whether it was Christmas or Halloween. He just was the, he was headquarters for the whole neighborhood to get together. Hot dogs, sausages, I guess is what we call them here. 40 years later, his grandson, David is still doing the exact same thing. Joni and I have an interesting neighborhood now. We live in Sarasota, which is on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and it's basically a retirement area. So we, I'm one of the only people over the age of 50 in our area with a birth certificate from Florida. Everybody else comes in from somewhere else up north because they get tired of getting snowed on, so they come down to Florida. Our neighborhood has been very transient because of that. So we had, we've got renters, then we had a housing crisis and a banking crisis, so everybody had to move out, and banks bought them, and then they rented them. And so we have seen more families come in and out of our neighborhood, and it's really kind of a microcosm of the world. We've got a whole representation of the world on our street. We have uh, people of different faiths. We have people that are married to the same gender. I mean, it's an interesting neighborhood where we see the whole world on our cul-de-sac. 
And truth be told, I don't really know that many people. I'm a guy, so I just walk by and give the universal man greeting to whoever's in the neighborhood. Joni, of course, is much better at that. And she knows some of the stories of, we've got the cul-de-sac lady who knows everything about everybody. And so she'll come out and she's kind of like, we'll tell you everything about every house because she keeps, she pays really close attention to what's going on and then tells everybody else. But us guys, we just, you know, we drive by, give, you know, lift the hand off the steering wheel, that's it. That's how much I know you. When they asked me for a title of the message, I decided to call it uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which if you've ever seen Mr. Rogers, the TV show from back in the 70s, that was his song. Uh, but this pertains to Luke 10, and I'm going to read you a scripture out of Luke 10. It's relatively long. It's a whole story, and you may have heard it before. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want to put a different spin on it today. It starts like this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he, the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a trap. He's just straight up setting a trap for Jesus because he, he wants him to walk into something that he can't answer. And instead of answering, <clears throat> excuse me, with a simple answer, Jesus replied with a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He follows with this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's Luke 10 verse 25 through 37. Here's a couple of things to note about this conversation before we get into the meat of the, of the message. Jesus never clearly states why the priest or the Levite avoided the half-dead victim by walking by on the other side of the road. He never tells us why these guys decided to stay on the other side of the road. Back in that time, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho wasn't really a road. It was a mountain path. And it was a mountain path that, that climbed up and down over a thousand meters. It was a narrow path peppered with caves on both sides. And these people had to climb a thousand meters up and down to get to the city of worship. Because another thing about this road from Jericho to Jerusalem is Jerusalem was the epicenter of their faith. So when they were bringing their tithes and offerings, as Pastor Gray was talking about, from their first of their, their storehouses, they were coming up and down a thousand meter trail to get there. There was a really good chance that robbers, knowing exactly what these people were doing, 
would hide in those caves and jump unsuspecting people with bags full of money headed to Jerusalem, which was the city of worship. They knew they were coming. Every single Sabbath, they would sit in those caves waiting for unsuspecting people to go by. So maybe the priest and the Levite, knowing full well that there's caves, knowing that they're on their way, just didn't want to fall victim to a gang of robbers, so they just went booking right on by. They did not stop for a second because they knew if they did, they ran the risk of getting jumped by somebody hiding in a cave. Or maybe, given the fact that one was technically a pastor and the other one was technically an elder, they needed to get to church. And they're looking at their watch saying, man, pre-service starts. we got a meeting in like 15 minutes. We need to get to this pre-service meeting. And their church service trumped the people. For whatever reason, nobody stopped. And then along comes this Samaritan guy. He doesn't just take pity on him. He puts him on his donkey, loads him in his ute, drives him to a hotel, deposits him with the innkeeper, gives him an enormous amount of money. Two denarii is a huge amount of money for anybody in this time. And then says, run a tab. I'll be back when I'm back, but you take care of this guy. After telling the parable, Jesus asked the single question in verse 36 to this expert. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? This had to be a really painful moment for this guy. This guy was an expert in the law. He had memorized absolutely everything in the Pentateuch, the first five books. He knew the Torah backwards, forwards, and sideways. He would be that guy that would challenge you on your theology anytime you opened your mouth. He was that guy. He was an expert in the law. He was a veteran church guy. He would flex his biblical brilliance any chance he had. He would, you know, he would just override you. He would dominate you. He was a professional church expert. And he was also a Jew. And Jewish people didn't even acknowledge that Samaritans were alive. In the eyes of the expert, the Samaritan was really no better than a junkyard dog. He wasn't worth talking about. He didn't even count in the conversation. Today, the term Good Samaritan is used all the time, at least in the States. You know, it pops up on the internet. You see it on the newspapers. A Good Samaritan rescues six people from a burning apartment building. Or a Good Samaritan gives three months of his salary to the homeless. It's a, it's, it means it's a good thing. But in the eyes of Jewish culture, it was the exact opposite. A Jew would never speak of a Samaritan. In fact, when these guys were walking through Israel, Jewish people would walk around Samaria so that they didn't get any Samaritan dirt on their sandals. They didn't even want to take Samaritan dirt with them wherever they went. It was that unsanitary. Consequently, when Jesus asked that expert, who do you think was the neighbor? Did you hear his answer? I put it up on the screen, but... He said this, the one who had mercy on him. The expert of the law couldn't even utter the word Samaritan. He could have said priest. He could have said Levite. But when it came down to who actually stopped, he called him the one. He couldn't even utter the word Samaritan. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're honest with ourselves, there are people in our lives that we see all the time 
that are just like that. We won't even mention their name. We won't even utter anything about them. They're off limits. Every day, God places opportunities in front of us to love our neighbor, whether they're our kind or not. Because of this fact, today I'm going to leave you with Jesus' strategy for loving your neighbor straight from the Good Samaritan himself, but I can't go into that until we redefine what neighbor is. Now we know that neighbor is officially defined as everybody. Everybody. Not the people in our cul-de-sac, not the people on our street. Everybody we see is our neighbor. So there are five steps I want to leave you with loving your neighbor. The first one is we need to open our eyes. The Samaritan saw the wounded man. He saw the need right in front of him. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he stopped. He saw the need. Joni and I spend a lot of time on social media. I'm sure there's lots of people that do a lot of scrolling on the different platforms, including the new ones that they just introduced the other day, so this one I need is another platform. <laughs> but when you're scrolling through the internet, I truly believe, we believe that the internet, social media is a megaphone for pain. Okay, there are people that have no one in their life, and they're the ones that put those really cryptic posts on their Instagram, <clears throat> having a really bad day, and you look at it and go, oh, they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're just looking for attention. And we make that derogatory. But we may be the only one that sees as we scroll this person that's crying for attention. And all it takes is to send a little private message and say, hey man, are you okay? I read your post. And it might be that their dog pooped on the carpet and they're disappointed about that. But it might also be that they have a, a crisis in their life and they have no one else to turn to. And so they're posting it anonymously on social media in hopes that someone like us will show them the love of Jesus by just saying, hey, are you all right? Our default oftentimes is to put praying hands emojis on people's stuff as if that accomplishes anything. It makes us feel good praying for you. But that does nothing. Reach out to them. We have to open our eyes. We have to see what people need. We have to read it. We have to see it. We have to engage with them. We have to show them who Jesus is by the way that we love them. We believe in our house that it's all about the one. And we've had moments where Joni has come to me at 11 o'clock at night and say, I've got a, a single mom friend who has no one else. She's in the hospital. I want to go see her. Go. And she'll go sit in a hospital room with a friend who has no one else. Kids are out of town. Divorce happened. She has no husband. She's all by herself. And Joni will go sit in that room until she doesn't need to sit in that room anymore, even if it's overnight. And I believe there's been a couple of overnights. I'll do the same thing. Because Jesus himself would leave the 99 on the side of a hill to go after one. It's all about the one. It's not about the group. It's about the one. And we see the one every single day of our lives. You don't have to know what it's like to be encountering something devastating, uh, losing a child, losing a spouse, filing bankruptcy, losing your home, to sit with someone who just did. You don't have to be the expert on everything. Sometimes the ministry of presence alone is more than anything, more than, more than anyone ever needs. They just need you to be with them. 
I joke with men all the time that if you can fog a mirror, that's a southern thing, means if I put a mirror under your nose and you're breathing and steam comes out, you're the right person for the job. You don't have to be qualified, you just have to be there. Amen? The second thing we have to do is we have to open our heart. The Bible says, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. We have to let that sight move to our heart. It's not a big travel, it's not a big distance, but it's gotta go from here to here. He took pity on that wounded man. The third thing that we need to do is we need to open our hands. This is where it starts getting ugly for some of us Christians. Now we gotta start you know, putting some effort behind it. The Samaritan man went over to him, bandaged his wounds, put oil and wine on him, loaded him up on the donkey. He took so, he, I don't even know what this guy was doing or where he was going, but he spent all that time with a complete stranger who in the eyes of everybody else was worthless. He wasn't, had no value whatsoever, but to this Samaritan man, that man had imminent value, and he opened his hands. He gave up what he had. He may have needed that oil and wine for something else, but he sacrificed that oil and wine for someone that he didn't even know who was in need. We have, uh, there's a story that I share when we were first in ministry. Um, when we were first in ministry, we were struggling financially. God has a sense of humor because I have a degree in accounting, so he put a guy with a degree in accounting into ministry so I could watch the number turn red all the time <laughs> on the spreadsheets. And there was this one holiday. We are, uh, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but we're a blended family. I met the Lord really as a result of my marriage imploding, and um, I got a chance to outkick my coverage and, uh, on the second time. God is a God of second chances, amen. I mean, I'm, uh, what a blessing my wife is. And uh, we're sitting around the house, and our kids are with their respective, ex, our respective exes on this holiday. And it's Thanksgiving, which in the United States is a holiday commemorating the landing of the Mayflower and this big feast uh, that the English had with the, um, the locals, the indigenous people. And they made turkey and beans and a bunch of other stuff. And so we celebrate the fourth Thursday of every November uh, doing the same thing. We didn't have any money, and we didn't really have any kids, so we're trying to figure out what are we gonna do? You know, it's normally an elaborate meal, but what are we gonna make an elaborate meal for two of us? We'll have leftovers until Christmas. There's no reason to make all this food. So we were trying to figure out what we were gonna do over Thanksgiving, and our worship leader was from Canada, and he had some visa issues and knew that if he went over the border to Canada for the holiday, he wouldn't be able to come back with his family. So they decided they were gonna stay in town, so they were gracious enough to invite us over. And the ticket, for us to go to this dinner was a big green bean casserole, which is beans and onions and a bunch of other stuff. But when I found out like there were gonna be 15 people there, I panicked because 15 people's worth of beans, I don't even know if we got that in the bank account. What are we gonna do? I guess we'll just stay home. As I'm lamenting and looking at the, at the bank account, trying to figure out how we're gonna get just some beans so we can go to this dinner, there's a knock on the door. It's a friend of mine, his name is Tommy Klein. He was in one of my small groups. And he was one of the guys in my small groups that used to drive me absolutely nuts. So, uh, anybody that's in a small group, you know, every once in a while there's someone that rubs you the wrong way. This guy rubbed me completely the wrong way, but as I spent more time with him, I realized the reason that he rubbed me the wrong way is he was just me, only 20 years older. And so, give the people in your small group a chance, because you may find the best brothers and sisters in Christ. Initially, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave. 
and they're gonna be your best friends. And here's this guy who has a rental home around the corner from our house. I haven't seen him in months, years. And I opened the door and he has a bag from Target in his hand. And I said, Tommy, what in the world are you doing? I haven't seen you in forever. And he said, well, we were just in the garden and we had too many green beans. And so I was gonna compost them, but my wife said, you should take those over to David and Joni's house. So I don't know why I'm bringing you this giant bag of beans, but here you go. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, we think about, we think about God caring about our finances and our health. God even cares about the green beans in our life, right? He cares about the minutia, the little things that we think are just way too small for God to even care about. He cares about everything. And this man opened his hands and gave us beans that he was gonna throw in the bin because we needed them. The fourth thing we have to do is open our schedule. That's a challenge. Clearly it was a challenge for the priest and the Levite because they just went, they looked over there, they saw him. Bible says they saw him, but they passed by on the other side. But you know what? Regardless of the urgency in his calendar, I mean, the Samaritan was going somewhere too. He had to be somewhere. He wouldn't have been on that road if he wasn't intentionally going somewhere. But he stopped. His schedule went right out the window. Our model, Jesus, did the same thing when he was on his way to um, lay hands on Jairus' daughter. And a woman with the issue of blood just happens to come up behind him and touch his robe. And he says, whoop, I felt power leave me. And he turned around and he spent all this time with this woman. And in the meantime, uh, no, it wasn't Jairus' daughter. Um, it was Lazarus. Lazarus dies while he's busy talking to someone else. And the disciples are like, hey, we got to get to Lazarus. Our schedules don't matter. God can supernaturally restore anything that's lost in the time that we spend with someone else. It doesn't matter what the time says on your watch. It doesn't matter what your calendar says on your phone. What matters is people. Jesus spent the time with people. We should spend the time with people. If we have a woman with an issue of blood, we spend the time. He's going to supernaturally restore whatever gets missed. Philip didn't miss a single minute of his life when he left preaching a big crowd and ran into an Ethiopian next to a river. He baptized an Ethiopian in the middle of what was a huge revival somewhere else. And as if he was any kind of preacher, he's like, man, I had a huge crowd. God, and you just brought me out here for this one dude? The entire nation of Ethiopia ended up meeting the Lord as a result of one guy being baptized because Philip was obedient to leave what he was doing. And you know what? God supernaturally moved him right back to another group. Not a minute missed. If we open our schedules, God will restore the time. Every single time. Then he put that man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. I don't, we don't even know how long he was at that inn. But that man's needs trumped his calendar. The fifth and final thing that we have to do is we have to open, I hate this one. We have to open our wallet, okay? We've gotta open our wallet. The Samaritan didn't just pay for the wounded man's hotel stay. He told the innkeeper, you run a tab. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if he's here for five weeks. I will come back and square away the bill with you. But that man's needs are more important than my finances. He took out two denarii and said, I'll be back. In my car, I have, um, or in my, my bag, whenever I go speak, I have a bunch of $5 bills. 
And the reason I have $5 bills is I have books that I uh, bring to events and that I sell, and they're $20. And Joni has always reminded me, men only have $20 bills, so bring a five so you can give them change. And this has been this way for years. Which men have $20 bills? I don't know, because I never have cash. But, you know, she said, make sure you got a bag full of $5 bills, because these guys are going to come with the 20s. And so every time I would go to an event, I would have a bag full of fives. Well, then 2020 hits. And I got a bag full of fives and nowhere to go. Whole schedule cancels. So I moved the fives into my car and I put them in the center box of the dashboard. And every time I would go to the post office to pick up our uh, stuff for the ministry in our box, there's this guy standing at this intersection with a sign with a picture of his family. Unemployed, need help. And I did what a lot of us do, and don't lie to me, I stand there with my hands on the steering wheel looking straight ahead with blinders on, hoping he doesn't see me. One day, with, with this little bin full of fives, I heard God say, give him some money. And my immediate default response is, oh, he's just gonna spend it on fill in the blank, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Our job is not what the people that we bless do with the blessing. Our job is to be obedient, to give the blessing. What happens with that blessing is between them and God. But I'm sitting there hearing God say, give money away. Now, my wife loves that. She would give away everything we own. Uh, you're laughing, but it's true. And I'm the, I'm the pragmatic, practical one, always balancing the budget. And she's like, we just need to give them some money. And... So I gave this guy five. The next day I'm at the post office. God says, give him more. So I start handing him two fives, three fives. I've never seen him since. And I have no idea what he did with that money. But I know God was smiling on the fact that I just was obedient to what he asked me to do. James 2, 15 and 16 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? That is like someone posting on social media, I'm hungry, and us dropping a pizza emoji in the comments section. That's not gonna meet anybody's needs. That's a prayer emoji. I'm praying for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to start looking around at traffic signals. I heard a pastor once say, that we're called to be a river and not a reservoir. If we take the money that God blesses us with and we dam it up and keep it, do you know that eventually a reservoir can hold no more water and the river will stop flowing? Because it'll be full. In our financial life, if we allow God to flow through us as a river and so as he blesses us, we bless others with it, that means that there's no dam in the way. We're not pooling it up for some time later. We're just knowing confidently that when we need it, it will come down river at a time that we need it because God is always 10 steps ahead of any need that we have anyway. He already knows what we need long before we need it. And if we're blessing other people, that river will never stop. And we've tested it in our personal lives, and it is so true. God will never stop blessing a blesser. We need to put our money where our mouth is. Unbelievably, we are still talking about the Good Samaritan over 2,000 years later. The dude doesn't even have a name, yet we talk about him all the time. He is a commonplace word in our culture today, all because he took the time to walk across the street.
So today, look around Kabulcher. Tomorrow morning when you're on your way to work, look around. It's time for us to see the need. It's time for us to help the helpless. It is time for us to love them by investing not just our money, but also our time. Because God is gonna renew that schedule. If you're on your way to a meeting and there's somebody homeless right next to you and you feel God prompting you to go speak life over them, lay hands on them, whatever it is he's asking you to do, don't think you're gonna miss the meeting. He's gonna, he'll restore it. And if you miss the meeting, so what? You've just changed someone's eternity by taking an invest, putting an investment of time in their lives. And when I get to heaven and you get to heaven, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We won't hear, hey man, you missed that meeting at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. We're gonna hear, well done, good and faithful servant because they may be the only Jesus we ever see. And it starts right here, City Point North, outside the walls of this church. We need to stop gripping the steering wheel and looking straight ahead, and we need to start looking around. We need to be the good Samaritan who sees the wounded on the other side of the road because time is short, and we don't know how long we have before Jesus comes back, and our mission should be to lay down the example that will bring as many people with us to heaven as we can before he calls us home, amen? Look around. Open your eyes, your hands, your heart, your schedule, and your wallet. And we will see God change, not just Kabulcher, but Queensland, Australia, and the world. I pro prophesied this over the weekend, that this is going to be the epicenter that's gonna go to the Northern Hemisphere instead of the other way around. It's gonna start here in this area with people with this kind of heart and the world is gonna change. One man, one woman at a time. God bless you guys. Father, we just come before you, Lord Jesus. We, we wanna look around, Lord. Open our eyes so that we can truly see. God, we're not worried about provision. We're not worried about time. We know that you are sovereign. If I took that original word sovereign and translated it, it means in control of everything. So we give you our lives. We give you our finances. We give you our schedule. We give you our children. We give you our home. We give you our very legacy, Lord. Let it begin with us here. Change this world. We cry out to you, oh God. Jesus, we need you. There are so many people just right outside the walls of this building that are desperate for you. There are people inside this building that are desperate for you. Help us, God, to never lose sight of the wounded people laying half dead by the side of the road. Because if we make it to church on time and miss the person by the side of the road, what good is it? What good is it, in the words of James, for us to say, hey, I hope you find some food when we do nothing about it. We know you will bless our every effort. Speak, Holy Spirit, to each person in this sanctuary at this moment. Begin to burden us with the things that break your heart, that cause you, Jesus, to cry as you sit at the right hand of the Father, waiting for us to have the same level of compassion that you do. Jesus, we love you, and we know that you have something so great for each one of us. We wanna step into the fight, God. We wanna get into the battle, Lord. Here we are, God. Send us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.